Our scripture this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. If you'd like to locate that in your Bibles, uh, use the Pew Bible. We're going to be walking through this passage this morning. Starting in verse 1, Peter writes, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. This is the word of the Lord. Now throughout this letter, Peter has been encouraging us as Christians that we can face difficulty and trial, and at the same time, entrust ourselves to God and continue to do good. You know, Peter tells us back in chapter 4 that God will actually use trials and difficulty and opposition to refine our faith, to purify our faith. And then he tells us in chapter 4, verse 17, that judgment begins with the household of God. And we talked about how uh, God is... Uh, taking sin out, he's, he's working on getting rid of sin, and he started with the people of God. He starts with the church, his people, by taking sin out of our lives through the work of Christ. And then at the end of chapter 4, Peter again, he challenges us and charges us to entrust ourselves to God. Even when we face difficulty, continue to entrust ourselves to God and continue to do good, even in the midst of opposition. And now as he moves into chapter 5, He is going to go from a general challenge to the church to a more specific challenge to a specific group of people. And then he's going to broaden his challenge once again to the church as a whole. He's going to start chapter 5 by giving a charge to the elders of the church. But before he charges them with a specific task and how to do that task, he's going to give them some personal context out of which this advice will flow. So Peter writes in verse 1, he says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. So Peter starts by saying, I'm speaking to the elders, the pastors of the churches that he's writing to. And then he says, I am a fellow elder. And he's writing to say, you know, we are all in the same boat. We're all seeking to walk with Jesus and to accomplish that which he calls us to do. Wherever you are, whatever gift you've been given, specifically here he's talking to the elders, but I believe you could say, you know, we're all walking with Jesus. We're in the same boat, seeking to trust him, to allow him to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in our lives. And then Peter goes on to say, you know, as a fellow elder, I witnessed the sufferings of Christ. And we know that Peter was there when they arrested Jesus. You know, Peter was there in the courtyard when they were interrogating Jesus. And when that rooster crowed three times 
and Peter's eyes met Jesus, he was very aware of the suffering that Jesus was going to meet and was meeting at that moment. And although Peter in that moment, when he denied Christ, denied knowing Christ and being associated with Christ, even though he avoided suffering by denying being associated with Christ, after he was restored to Christ, he would never deny Christ again. And I believe Peter's writing this letter to tell us that we need to be restored to Christ and we need to walk with Him and and trust Him with our lives no matter what. Peter goes on to say that he not only was a witness to the sufferings of Christ, but he was also a witness to and a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. And what we're going to see in this chapter is that Peter's, his mind, it's, it's bubbling up with all these memories of Jesus and all these things that Jesus has taught him and, and has demonstrated for him. And this is another one. He, re, he reflects on that time when they were on the mountain and he saw Jesus transfigured. He saw Jesus uh, glorified in some degree. He got a glimpse of the glory that would be Christ's after the resurrection. And he says, I was a partaker of that. And now that is what his focus is on in sharing that glory with Christ in the end. And he says, this is the context in which this advice is coming from. I'm a fellow elder. I've witnessed the sufferings of Christ. I'm a partaker of the glory that will be shared by the followers of Christ. And then he says in verse 2, he tells the elders to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And again, another memory comes into Peter's mind, surely, as he's writing this. He's thinking, what will I tell these elders? What will I tell these pastors as they seek to minister to God's people? And he says, you need to shepherd them. Now you remember when Peter denied Christ, and then Christ was raised from the dead, and met up with his disciples, And met up with Peter on the banks of the Sea of Galilee. You remember that conversation they had? John records it in his gospel in the 21st chapter in verse 15. Starting in verse 15. And this is what he says. He says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So as Jesus restored Peter to himself, what he told Peter was, I want you to shepherd the people of God. That's what I want you to do. Feed my sheep. And now Peter, as he's writing to all these pastors and all these elders within the churches in modern day Turkey, he's saying, shepherd the flock of God. He's extending them the same challenge to those who are in positions of leadership that he was given by Christ himself. He tells the elders or the pastors, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And then he gives them some advice on how to shepherd well. 
He gives them three charges, and each of these charges has both a positive side and a negative side, or a positive command and a negative command. He says, first of all, when you shepherd the flock of God, you need to do so exercising oversight, and you see this in verse 2, exercising oversight, not under compulsion. In other words, pastors, elders should seek to shepherd God's people and do so as they are compelled by the love of Christ. Not because it's just some dutiful task, but the motivation should be their love for Christ. It should compel them to want to shepherd the flock of God. The second charge it gives them is when you shepherd the flock of God, you need to do so willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain. In other words, we should, as pastors and leaders and elders, we should shepherd the people of God because of the riches that are ours in Christ, not the riches of this world and what this world has to offer. And thirdly, he says, you need to shepherd the flock of God eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge. In other words, using your authority to seek to meet the needs of others and point them to Christ, not simply trying to meet your own needs. And then he says in verse 4, he just gives them a reminder that when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Just reminding them all that we are all subject to Christ, who is the chief shepherd. And when he is revealed, we will share in that same glory that is his. And then Peter takes the focus off the elders for a moment and he puts his attention on another group of people in the church. He directs his attention to the, to the younger people of the church. And this is what he says in verse 5. He says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And I think here he's not just referring to the elders as the, the pastor or the other pastors or people in specific offices of the church, but I think he's talking about those who are older in the faith and those who are older in age. And I think as you read the Bible, you see that there is a respect that comes with age in the church. And the younger should respect the older. Uh, the younger should seek the counsel of the older. And implied in that as well, I believe, implied in this charge though, is that the older are growing in their faith. And the older are not only old in age, but old in the Lord. Mature in the Lord. And that there's a sense in which they are growing in their faith in Christ, and they actually want to invest in the younger. I think all this is implied in this passage that charges the younger to be subject to the older. So he focuses on the elders, he focuses on the younger, and now he expands his charge to the entire church. And this is what he says in verse 5. He says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. He was saying here, church, as you face difficulty, the only way that you're going to be able to entrust yourselves to God and continue to do good in the midst of trial is by being humble before the Lord. By clothing yourselves with humility. You know, Augustine 
one of the early church fathers, he said this. He said, if you ask me what is the first precept of the Christian religion, I will answer first, second, and third, humility. Peter tells us that we should clothe ourselves with humility. Now again, like I mentioned before, as as Peter is writing chapter 5, I think he's just flooded with all these memories of Christ. And he's brought back to that same Passover event when uh, Christ clothed himself. He He clothed himself with that servant's towel and he washed his disciples' feet. Because you see that word there that means uh, to clothe oneself that he uses here is typically used to describe uh, tying on like an apron or some type of servant garment. And now he says you need to clothe yourself with humility just like Christ clothed himself that night when he washed his disciples' feet and modeled humility for his disciples. And then Paul, if you flip over to the or flip back to the book of Philippians, you get a even a more a fuller idea of what it means to uh, humble yourself or be a humble person or act out of that humility as well. You see in Philippians chapter two, verses four through eight, this is what it says: Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross." And so so we get this beautiful picture of what true humility is in the person of Christ. And we see here that humility is a healthy confidence in who you are in Christ. There is a healthy confidence of who you are in Christ. It's not an arrogance. Because an arrogance, when you're arrogant, you're saying that you are better than perhaps others. And we would say someone's arrogant when they think they're better than they actually are. Right? But it's also not, on the flip side of that, you have what some of us deal with. And that is, maybe we're not arrogant. Maybe we don't don't think that we're better than we are. But perhaps we think we're worse off than we are. Perhaps we think we're worthless. You have this self-hatred. That is not humility. Christ died for you. He sent His Son for you. You're not worthless. But yet we still need His grace and His mercy. And so humility is a healthy confidence in who you are in Christ. And that humility expresses itself through serving others. That's how it manifests itself always. And seeking the interest of others more so than your own. Peter goes on in verse 6 and he says, Humble yourselves therefore. Under the mighty hand of God, so that, so that at the proper time, He may exalt you. you know, just imagine yourself in the doctor's office, and he gives you the news that, you know, there's something wrong with you, and the only way to bring healing to you is if you humble yourself, you submit yourself to me, and you, you humble yourself under the operating hand 
of the doctor so that in proper time you may be exalted. In other words, you must submit yourself to this surgeon and allow this surgeon to go in and do his work so that healing can take place and you can be better off than you are. And so what what Peter's saying is, for the Christian, for all of us, we must humble ourselves. It's an act of the will. We choose to do it. You can choose to do it or not. But we know that God opposes the proud and He gives grace to the humble. He heals the humble. He does His work in the humble. And so will you humble yourself under the operating hand of God so that He can bring you through and make you better than you are? That's what He's challenging us with in this, in this verse and in this passage. And then He says... It's all about God's timing. You know, we like healing to happen immediately. But when we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, what we're saying is, I'm trusting in God's timing. And I get that from verse 6 when it says, at the proper time He will exalt you. You know, it's God's timing. It's, It's not your own. You know, when you humble yourself before God. Just think about this in your everyday life. When you humble yourself before God, you're telling the world that I believe there's more to life than the here and now. When you humble yourself before God, you're telling the world that I am not the captain of my fate or the master of my soul. You know, I am entrusting myself to God. I'm entrusting my soul to God. He is the one in charge. He is the one who has the reins. He's the one in whom I trust. Now, you may be thinking, though, and this happens, I think, anytime we loosen our grip on the reins of life, it, it tends to open us up, perhaps, not only to great faith, but also can open yourself up to uh, anxiety and worry. When we lay our lives out there to be instruments of grace, uh, you could anticipate I, there's going to be some uncertainty. And so anxiety could creep in and start flooding in my life to feel in that place where faith should be. And I think Peter anticipates this train of thought. And he tells us that the one who has humbled himself under the mighty hand of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, is the one who is free to cast his anxiety upon the Lord because the Lord cares for him. And you see that in verse 7. That reads, Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, this word anxiety comes from this verbal root that means to divide. And what anxiety does, and we've all experienced it, and you may be even experiencing it this morning, you know, anxiety tends to divide the mind and it prevents wholehearted devotion to the Lord. It even prevents devotion to those around you. If you've ever been anxious, it almost causes you to have this preoccupation with, with whatever it is. And it causes you to even uh, forsake those around you 
and overlook the needs of those around you because you're so consumed in what's causing you that anxiety. It's dividing you. It's dividing your mind. It's dividing your devotion. And one scholar said that the antidote for this is to turn to God and to find relief by pouring out your anxiety upon Him. And as we do that, another scholar made note, he said, as we do that, as we cast our cares upon the Lord, oftentimes, sometimes we find that those things that are causing us this great concern and worry and anxiety actually stem from our own pride and they're really not cares of the kingdom. You know, they're cares of the world, they're not really cares of the kingdom. But sometimes those anxieties do come and we all experience, we all experience them. So the question is, what do you do? I mean, what do you do with the anxiety when it does come? Well, Peter says, you cast your anxiety upon God. Well, what does that look like? How, how does that work? Well, when, you, when he says cast, cast your anxiety upon God. This word cast is a word that refers to a decisive action. It's not an ongoing action. It's a decisive action. As one scholar said, it means, it means getting rid of a burden by a, by a decisive act of committal and surrender in which they are cast upon God and cease to be carried by us. Yesterday, we decided to uh, plant a garden. Well, I'd been thinking about it for a little while. I mentioned it to you all, I think, uh, during one of the Easter services. But uh, we, we pulled the trigger yesterday. Went to Lowe's, uh, you know, we bought some soil because the garden we planted is really not that big. So we felt like we could buy some, some good soil and, you know, put it in the little area we're going to plant. And uh, we bought the soil, we bought different plants, I let the kids pick out a vegetable or a fruit. Had to kind of narrow down their choices because we had everything from, you know, I want to plant an apple tree. I'm like, well, let's focus on something a little, that won't take as long to actually produce some fruit. And so, and we don't really have room for an apple tree there. So, let's pick you, pick you something out. So, we got everything in the car. We came home. And it was my job to unload the soil, right? Because these bags are, you know, roughly 50 pounds each. And so, that was my job. And so, what I would do is I'd get the bag out of the car, put it on my shoulder, walk over to where the garden is going to be, and then what would I do? Put it down, right? I wouldn't just keep carrying it around. And I was thinking about that as I was studying this and looking over this, and I thought, you know, how many of us pick up these anxiety-causing burdens and we carry them around, but we never put them down? Now, wouldn't it be strange if you pulled up in front of my house over there and you saw me just walking around the yard with this 50-pound bag of soil on my shoulder, just walking around aimlessly, just getting more and more hunched over, and you're thinking, what? what is he doing? And then you come up and you say, Ron, why are you carrying around this heavy bag of soil all over your yard? And I say, well, you know, I don't know exactly where my garden will be. I don't know the perfect place for the garden yet. So I'm just going to carry around this big bag until I figure it out. And then I'll put it down. 
And you may say, well, Ron, I don't think you need to know exactly where that guard needs to be to put down this bag. You know. And I, I kind of think that's what Peter's telling us here. He said, you know, you don't need to know all the details of your immediate future. You may, you may not know how those bills are going to get paid. You may not know how this relationship's going to turn out. You may not know how or what those test results are going to reveal. But I think Peter's telling us to, instead of allowing these concerns to creep in and divide our heart, that we can cast them down. We can put them on the Lord. Because, you know, when I finally made it over to my garden spot and I put that 50-pound bag of dirt down, you don't have to be a physicist to realize what I did is I transferred the weight. I, the weight didn't disappear. I just transferred it from my shoulders to the ground. And the ground could sustain it. And that's what Peter's saying. He's saying you can cast your cares upon the Lord for two reasons. One, He can sustain it. He can handle it. His mighty hand can uphold that much better than you can. And the second reason is that He cares for you. You God is more concerned about your well-being than you are. And so Peter says, I know when difficulty comes and you know you should entrust yourselves to the Lord, there's a moment when you say, and it may even be a process for you that you, you, you wrestle with, do I cast this upon the Lord or do I carry this around on my shoulder? And Peter's saying, God can handle it. He cares for you. Cast it on Him. He can sustain the weight. So this morning, you know, do you believe that God cares for you? You'll never cast your anxiety upon Him unless you're convinced that He cares for you and that He's able to withstand the weight. And let me just remind you that God sent His only Son for you to die on the cross for you so that you can have eternal life. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8.32. He says, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? If God has given His Son, why would He withhold what you need? God is more concerned with your well-being than you are. Therefore, let us humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And if there's anything causing you anxiety, will you cast it on Him because He cares for you? Let us pray. God, thank You for this letter. Thank You for Your great act of grace where You sent Your own Son to down the cross for our sin. So that through faith in Him we can experience eternal life. And we can know that even now, even today, You were at work giving us all that we need to accomplish what You would have us to do. 
Lord, help us to trust in that. Help us to cling to the promises in your word that are based on your character. Lord, help us to humble ourselves even now under your mighty hand. Cling to your truths that are applied to us in Jesus Christ and release our anxiety and our cares to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as, we, as we sing our final hymn this morning, I can't think of a better time to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. To place your faith in Jesus Christ and inherit a proper, healthy confidence of who you are in light of what Christ has done for you. Also, I think this morning, now, is a perfect time to cast your anxieties upon Him. Now is the time. As you hear His Word, as His Holy Spirit applies it to your heart, now is the time to cast your anxieties upon Him. Now, some of you may want to come to the front and kneel for prayer. Some of you may want to, for the very first time, humble yourself and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And some of you, perhaps would like to join this church family as we seek to entrust ourselves to God together and help others come to know this same Christ that we know. So whatever your response is, let us respond to God's word as we stand and sing.